You're listening to Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. And this is Janine. Thanks for stopping by. Today we're going to have a chat with Gary Van Warmerdam. And the topic is Happiness is an Inside Job. He's been a student and friend of Don Miguel Ruiz, author of a book that I feel is very important, The Four Agreements, A Practical Guide to Personal Freedom. Gary's going to share his journey from victimhood to empowerment, and I think you'll find it fascinating and informative. But before I start my chat with Gary, I would like to share the four agreements of Don Miguel, Gary's teacher and friend. If everyone did their best to incorporate these four principles into their life, it would be a very different world. Here we go. Number one, be impeccable with your word. Speak with integrity. Say only what you mean. Avoid using the word to speak against yourself or to gossip about others. Use the power of your word in the direction of truth and love. Two, don't take anything personally. Nothing others do is because of you. What others say and do is a projection of their own reality, their own dream. When you are immune to the opinions and actions of others, you won't be the victim of needless suffering. Three, find the courage to ask questions and to express what you really want. Communicate with others as clearly as you can to avoid misunderstandings, sadness, and drama. With just this one agreement, you can completely transform your life. Four, always do your best. Your best is going to change from moment to moment. It will be different when you are healthy as opposed to sick. Under any circumstance, simply do your best, and you will avoid self-judgment, self-abuse, and regret. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Gary Van Warmerdam, and we'll get right to it. My guest today is Gary Van Warmerdam, and I'm very excited to have him on the podcast because I think he's going to bring an interesting and different aspect to the search for happiness and what it means to be happy and how we can go about achieving a a more joyful life. And part of keeping it real with Janine is being in in joy. So Gary, welcome. Hey, thank you, Janine. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you agreed to it. Um, In reading your information, I read as much as I could find, and it seems that you have done a really a 180 in your life from having a, a pretty traditional a male background of, of your your life and your work. And it sounds like something happened in your life that you <laughs> you began this journey. I, I guess I would call it the search for happiness. And the main reason that I wanted to uh, have you on as a guest is because I strongly believe in Don Miguel Ruiz book, The Four Agreements. And I think it's a fabulous book. I've bought tons Mm -hmm. of them to give to people. Mm -hmm. um, And I I highly recommend it. But I know you've also taken The Four Agreements to another level and added your own personal touch. So um, let's kind of weave all of that together. And let's start with your story. My story? Well, 
grew up on a farm and then studied engineering and was an officer in the Navy. And I'd say my early life, I was kind of just innocently happy, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. uh, naively Mm -hmm. happy. Like many of us. (laughs) And successful, got most of what I was trying to accomplish. But, uh, you know, towards the end of my career in my Navy, in the Navy, I was very unhappy. Mm-hmm. And it had slowly crept in over years and tired and burned out. And so I didn't really see it coming, just found myself there kind of going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a relationship about that time, which started in this kind of fairy dust joy, Uh Uh, sank away and then it was drama and then I was walking on eggshells and then it was what I would say became kind of emotionally um, abusive Uh to me Uh which you think is kind of crazy because you know I'm about 200 pounds I'm Uh 6'3 and this person who was about 120 pounds was you know criticizing me and 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 I was you know uh, mush Uh very Uh insecure and afraid of of the tirades that were going on and <clears throat> so finally i you know at the time i was leaving the navy and i left that relationship and i realized wait a minute i was <laughs> was emotionally just uh a nothing and i felt very insecure and i felt afraid and nobody would want to be with me so i talked myself in well just grateful she wants to be with me mm-hmm. so it was a really from where i grew up not having that kind of mindset it was like wow this is this is crazy that I'm here and yet I'm here realizing I've bought into this. Uh And so I, uh, I left. Did you have a a hard time at the time understanding that you had a role to play in this or that you were somehow creating this in your life? That was the first step. Mm. I mm-hmm. stopped off. I visited a, a friend after I left the relationship because I'm driving cross country. And she was a, a friend from college, but her whole family was going through this alcoholics recovery process. The, mm-hmm. Her father was an alcoholic. And I was talking to the mom. I was like, wow, this is really impressive. You're so honest. Mm-hmm. And the mom said, well, I couldn't do the lies anymore. And I had to take responsibility for my half. And so we talked about, well, what does that mean? What is that? <clears throat> and so that must have struck me because then I'm driving through Nebraska and Iowa, headed back to the West Coast. And I'm hearing those words, I got to take responsibility for my half and don't do the lies. And the other part of my mind is going on a rant about she did this and my old boss was that and why couldn't it be this way and them, 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 them. hmm and I hear this little truth, what's my half? Don't do <laughs> lies anymore. And so I, I began to see the conflict of this blame and started to realize, well, okay, what was my half? So, well, I chose to go in the Navy and <clears throat> I chose to be in that relationship. And when it's bad, I chose to stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ouch, crap, I guess that's my half. And it didn't feel good. Mm-hmm. But there was a very interesting wrestling with that i'd see my mind go no no no, them 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 and then uh, this truth would come and say well what was my half and it would go back and forth and finally i was like now i gotta own my half and as uncomfortable as that was after i sat with it for a while and i let the mind 
this is the first time I really began to watch my mind. Mm-hmm. I like up until then I was all thoughts, you know, were thoughts that I thought, you know, I assumed they were all coming from me, but here I'm struggling back and forth. I got these two contradictory directions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, but when I took responsibility and I sat with it, it was uncomfortable for a while, but I go, this is the truth. And, you know, in ways it's liberating, isn't it? Because when you can shift from feeling like a victim, which you have absolutely no uh, no control over anything then if you're a victim, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can shift from taking responsibility, even if you don't know how, if you can have the recognition that you're responsible for where you at there there's something very it is scary but there's also something very freeing and liberating about that because then you can do something different exactly and and i i found it not so much free and liberty i found it powerful powerful Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because if it's them 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 then life is doing to me i got no choice right i'm there experiencing what they put on me and I can't create anything different. It's all right. and and to for my life to be different, I have to go change them, right? Mm-hmm. Expecting them to be different. Well, yes. good luck yep. with that. Right, right. So we tend to fail in that direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I sat there and said, "No, it's me. What's my half?" And I can I could have chosen differently. I didn't. That's my responsibility. But in that responsibility, as uncomfortable as it was, I began to feel a power. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Wait a minute! If I can create." All, if I was part of all that and I was creating and with those agreements, all that drama and the misery, I have a lot of power. And if I take hold of that power, I can create something different mm-hmm. there in that power. I felt I'm going to change my life. I'm going to figure out what is this decision making process. It's got me where I'm gotten, gotten me that mm-hmm. I've not been conscious of and I'm going to change it. And I'm going to be happy no matter what. Wow. Good for you. So this was the shift in the first kind of commitment and intent of, and and responsibility of, of, I'm not going to be a victim about life. I'm going to own it. Mm -hmm. Even, even the bad stuff, particularly the bad stuff, Mm -hmm. because that's where if I'm a victim, I'm disempowering myself to change anything. Right. When I say say being a victim, I'm playing the role of a victim because underneath there's a consciousness, there's a there's a part of me that doesn't have to play that role. Right. And so not surprisingly or surprisingly, about two weeks later, because a friend had been studying with uh with Miguel, two mm-hmm. weeks later I'm sitting in a room and I'm listening to a friend who who became a friend, Miguel Ruiz, give a talk about, you know suffering and happiness and (laughs) (laughs) i love synchronicity it just you know you were ready you were obviously ready you had done your work to get to the place where you were ready to hear him i absolutely because i'd say a year before i would have just been in my self-importance and Mm. believed very much that i had all the answers and why didn't people do things the way i did them and everybody in the world would be happier if they were just doing what i was doing and listening to me Mm -hmm. and that was an incredible amount of self-importance <laughs> and, and, uh, I had, that had to break. I had to say, no, I don't know enough. I need to figure some stuff out and I don't have all the answers. And that kind of humility was necessary. So then I could, I could hear somebody else's point of view. Mm-hmm. 
and what a great person to uh, come in contact with. In, incredibly blessed mm. to have connected and met up with him and and has had an extraordinary impact on my life uh, in, a, in a way that I've been lucky enough to kind of share derivation of that teaching and process for the last oh, almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what year was it that you met Don Miguel? 1994. 1994. Okay. So yeah, when did he write 20... the four agreements? How long have I been I handing this it, thing out? <laughs> I think it came out in about 97. I think it's about 20 year old. Ah, okay. For some reason, I still, thought I had read it a lot earlier than that, but it would have been in my dreams or something. <laughs> yeah, still a top, maybe 96, still a top seller. Uh, actually, no, he uh, he met the publisher uh, in 96, I think, and so it was probably published in 97. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's such, in one way, it's so simple, these four agreements. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and when when you look at them, it's pretty hard not to think, that they're not obvious, um, you know, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, when I had Ravenwood, my aromatherapy company, I asked all my employees to read it. I gave everybody a book and mm-hmm. I said, you know, this is, this is how I want us to work with each other. This is how I want us to be in relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And, um, and really I've just, I've bought, it's such a great little book. It's not like it takes a long time to read, but each each one is profound, and I think for each person, different ones. Like for me, never assume the uh, never assuming and don't take anything personally. Those were the two big ones for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone has their, uh, you know, their their one or two that that deeply resonate with them, and where they they realize they need to to change, and and that the relationship to that agreement has been such that it's. Uh, been detrimental and causing unhappiness in their life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's a a powerful summary. Those agreements are a powerful summary, and and just kind of symbolic of a commitment and an intent to change those things that make us unhappy. And those things particularly are these unconscious beliefs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, they are the voice of the victim that wants to blame somebody else. They're the voice of, in our mind, of a judgmental uh, kind of critical voice that wants to put other people down or put ourselves down. How do you deal with these parts of your mind that go off by themselves? Right. Uh, and and sometimes we feel like those voices are us, but when you become very aware, you say, you know, my mind's doing that by itself, but I don't have to. Like that moment of realizing, okay, what's the truth versus what is the voice of the victim say them, 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 them. It's like, wait a minute, I'm watching that voice. Therefore, that's not me. And so there becomes this shift in identity and awareness that I I can be something else and I can choose something else. And that is a, a small but powerful change. Absolutely. And you say, okay, it's not that I don't have to believe that voice in my head. And instead of it feeling victimized or me feeling victimized, if I identify with it, I can say, no, I chose Mm -hmm. and therefore feel empowered Mm -hmm. instead of fearful and weak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or even just questioning. Sometimes, like with my husband's (laughs) kids, I get very judgmental. And I'm like, why am I being so judgmental here? You know, why why am I having such a hard time letting this go? What's going on? Mm-hmm. 
if I, if I can, if I can segue, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, just there's another way to look at this all and say, why am I being so judgmental? It, it, you can say that that judgmental perspective is not one we were born with. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. one that we acquired mm-hmm. through repetition, through opinions of other people and realizing, oh, I can have opinions too. And it's a repetition of a program of thoughts and type of thoughts. And that we don't have to look at the world through that lens. We don't have to look at the world through that voice in our head, even though we might unconsciously identify with it a lot and say, so we can say, why am I adopting the point of view of the judge? Because I I give them identities when Mm. I break down. I like that. Why am I adopting the point of view of the judge? I hadn't thought of it that way. Because if you, if you ask the question, why am I being so judgmental? You're saying I am the judge as opposed to this is one pattern in the mind that I can operate from or not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when you do it that way, say, why am I adopting the point of view of the judge? Or do I have to adopt the point of view of the judge? The answer is no. And right there, there's a separation. You become the observer of the judge. And now you have a different choice. Now you can say, okay, how else can I look at this? What other interpretation I can make? Mm-hmm. So to look at these parts of the mind as separate from yourself is a, is a very critical step in, say, not taking things personally and not making assumptions. It's like that's an assumed you know, explanation of what happened or why it happened. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So say that again about – the different parts of the mind and well there's there's multiple in the in the four agreements miguel talks about you know mostly the judge and the victim parts mm-hmm. the victims like feeling hopeless and power powerless and fearful mm-hmm. and it's blaming everybody else and the judge and, and and it's the not good enough side of our self-importance and then there's the judge it knows better it's got the right idea it feels righteous feels empowered, has all the right answers. It's kind of the opposite of the victim. And they both go on in our mind. And those two end up doing a lot of the chatter in our head, makes up for a lot of the the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and sometimes they, they're in cahoots together. <laughs> if they say if they say, oh I shouldn't have done that, you know, you feel the I shouldn't have done that, I did something wrong with a victim emotion. Mm-hmm. And you feel the authoritative knows better identity of the judge at the same time. So you got a part that knows better and the part that is a screw up. Mm-hmm. It's like, and it can't be both, <laughs> hmm, you know, but, but they mm-hmm. pretend they, they, they trick us these parts of the mind where we're tricked into believing both sides of this. So what's the solution? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the solution is, uh, awareness mm-hmm. that we're not our mind and that that as an intellectual idea goes only so far it's really a practice of this and then the second part is to take an inventory of these belief systems and how they operate and what they're doing and to in that inventory you're going to establish yourself as uh, a consciousness that's separate from the mind and an identity that's not operating in the way that these patterns of the mind do. And this is, this is a part that's in the four agreements. After Miguel covers the four agreements, he talks about two things. He talks 
you really want to adopt these four agreements, change these patterns of beliefs, then you have to develop your self-awareness mm -hmm. and do an inventory of these beliefs. Because as by doing an inventory of these beliefs, you will really see how they operate and you'll be able to dismantle them. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. To not play. Like when, that day when I saw the victim going them, 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 them in blame, I was like, okay, no, I'm not, I don't have to agree to that. But that was just one moment of one story. Right. So what are the four agreements? The first is to be impeccable with your word. Mm -hmm. Go through them quick and then maybe I can give a little clarity on them. Yes, that'd be great. And the second is don't take anything personally. Mm -hmm. The third is don't make assumptions. The fourth, always do your best. Mm -hmm. They sound simple and a lot of people go, well, duh. You're right. <laughs> Common sense, let's move on. Right. But impeccable has to do with speaking with kindness and love and truth. Mm -hmm. And if we really monitor what comes out of our mouth and even what gets expressed in thought, Mm -hmm. or gets expressed in emotion because our word it's not words as in the words made up of 26 letters in various combination and permutations mm -hmm. it's the expression of this life force mm. we can express with emotion that's an expression of this life force or our word it comes from more greek the logos mm -hmm. It's, it's an expression of power. So I could say, why did you do that? <laughs> right? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or I could say, oh, why did you do that? Mm -hmm. you know, what is anger? Now, the words are the same. You, you don't say, well, I was completely impeccable. I meant that question, right? Yeah. But you were shaming and judgmental and angry and punishing when you did it. Or you were kind and curious when you did it. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think that I got my words correct, therefore I got my facts correct. But really, it's more in the emotion, what meaning and what it's really said. And so when we take something personally, we're offended. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're, we're using our expression of emotional energy to feel hurt. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what are all those minute expressions? If we have a thought, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You know, that's a self-rejecting thought with some maybe a tint of guilt and a tint of shame in it that we're buying into what the judge and victim have to say. Mm -hmm. And that all happens in one thought and in that we could say we've taken it personally, this thought. From the judge. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's the powerful. And when you really become impeccable, you're expressing with love and kindness and truth throughout your day. You're feeling the emotion you express. And so you're feeling the love and the kindness throughout the day. And so this is this is your creation of emotion your creation of an emotional expression is now your experience feels good you create mm -hmm. gratitude you feel gratitude right 
you express love and compassion, you feel love and compassion. You know, if somebody's angry with you and you express love and compassion, you feel the love and compassion. Mm-hmm. And so in this way, you can live in called heaven on earth in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of really mastering your word. So it sounds like, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're changing your intent. Your your intent is different when you're responding um, in anger or uh, as your intent is different when you're responding coming from a place of love and kindness. Absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, if we... If we're responding with anger, our intent from an underlying unconscious belief system is to push someone away who we assume hurt us. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or maybe we just had an emotional wound touch. Our victim got hurt. It was already lying in wait to be hurt again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And with that hurt, there's a fight or flight kind of learned response. We'll push them away, make them pay so they don't do it again. Mm but this is a, a how our word, our expression, gets corrupted by a belief system. Okay, mm-hmm. a, a parasitic ego type belief system. Give you a story of this. Uh, I had a client, and he uh, kind of split up, split up, divorced his ex wife, but they still were negotiating who was going to get the kids a weekend and little things. And you know, he was mad at her. He's like, "Well, I'm not going to let her have the kids this weekend, even though she wanted because." you know, kind of show her who's boss and she can't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I'm like, well, and the whole philosophy was underneath it when we dug down into the inventory was, well, if this hurts her, she'll not do this other thing again that hurt me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, so because you got hurt, you're going to hurt her back. And if you hurt her back strong enough, then she'll just do the stuff you want. And he's like, yes. He says, but is that how you respond? he's like do you acquiesce and say well she hurt me and so i'm just going to give her what she wants he's like hell no (laughs) when i get hurt i try and hurt her back okay but when she gets hurt you're assuming she'll acquiesce what if she responds the same way you do and when she gets hurt she hurts back and he's like i hadn't thought of that and so we have this kind of assumption (laughs) of how people Mm -hmm. will respond Mm -hmm. uh Yet it doesn't match reality. It probably worked when we learned it as a kid mm-hmm. that, you know, okay, mom and dad got angry and we acquiesced. Right. But we were five. Right. And so we learned to acquiesce, but we also learned, oh, if I get angry at other people, they'll acquiesce. No, not when they're adults. Not when um, they they get hurt. They're going to push back. And so this is this is a, a corruption of the expression of our word by a belief system that is false. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So so we get angry. The motivation and intent is very different. There's a place for anger, but it's generally when we're threatened for real. Mm-hmm. You know, not when we negotiate a divorce settlement. <laughs> Right. Or trying to negotiate anything. If coming from a place of anger doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. We're generally going to incite some kind of fight or flight, which is fear, anger response from the other party. And that's going to make it spiral. Exactly. 
But anyway, he was operating by assumptions of how someone would behave mm -hmm. or respond instead of by the truth of how they would respond. I've always found the don't, uh, let's see, don't, how is it worded? Don't make assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, I've always found that to be very, a really important uh, agreement because people do it all the time. And I, I was one of the worst, actually, because, <laughs> well, my mother, I, I finally figured it out. My, my mother was very private and she didn't, she felt from her perspective, asking a lot of questions of someone was prying. Hmm. Now, my dad, he could get their life story out in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> but my mother was much more private. And for some reason, I I took on that instead of my dad's uh, take on it. Um, mm -hmm. And in, up until I became a life coach, I, I think maybe that's one of the reasons I, I did was to learn to ask questions. But even so, in, in my private life, it's still kind of hard for me to ask questions. Um, when it's not when it's not personal, I can do it really well. But uh, but but on a personal level, it's you know it's kind of seems like being nosy or prying. Hmm. Whereas somebody else with a different belief system might interpret it as like, oh, she's not taking an interest. She doesn't care. She doesn't like me. And one friend told me that that that's <laughs> what she thought until she understood where it was coming from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you see, get to see your mom's belief system, and one of the ways that we adopt our parents' belief systems. Mm -hmm. our, her interpretation of what it means. And then that then becomes part of our behavior. But you know, did we consciously choose that? Or do you remember what age you chose that? Mm -mm. And that, that then became part of our personality, which is sort of like something we unconsciously adopted. And probably without considering alternatives. Mm-hmm. We right. just said, well, mom's doing it, and mom's my moral compass. It must be good and right. I'm going to do that. And these are all assumptions. Right. And that's actually even being too conscious of, I mean, this was, to me, as far as I know, for my personal situation, it was totally unconscious. Absolutely is unconscious. But the unconscious belief system is is basically defining well, mom does that unconsciously. Mom's our moral compass. Mm, Mom's mm -hmm. good. I mm -hmm. want to be good. Mm -hmm. These are unconscious motivations that we say, I'm going to adopt what mom's doing. And and not, it's not a conscious choice to adopt this. Right. So one assumption leads to another, leads to another. And now here we have this adult pattern going, hmm, <laughs> I'm not taking interest in other people. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe it affects whether we kind of build close relationships or what kind of relationships we build. Right. Right. Well, and, and just making assumptions in general without asking questions, almost, I mean, I love the, you know, assume is making an ass out of you and me. Um, you know, you, you, you assume things, but I would say 90% of the time you're probably wrong if you don't actually get information. Correct. Correct. Because, it's rarely ever uh, in the other person's motivation what we assume in our head because we would do things for different reasons. Mm -hmm. um, this is one of the most tricky ones because a lot of these assumptions happen out of automated patterns. Mm -hmm. And we don't know that we're doing it. 
So someone might read the four agreements and say, well, I, I don't make assumptions. I'm very clear. But they, because they assume that their assumptions are actual facts. Right, right. And they don't know that they're living in their own mental assumption of why somebody's doing what they're doing. They're like, oh, no, I know why they did that. Like, no, you don't. <laughs> right. You, you assume that you don't notice you're, you're making an assumption because you, you believe your assumption is fact. You believe you factually have the explanation that they would give. Right. And so you really have to challenge these things. What is, what is this thing that I believe because that I take as fact, that I know to be true? And might it just be an assumption? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a different approach to this. Um, How do people start to flip that, to, to switch from just making assumptions and thinking they quote unquote, no, um, and questioning whether that's true or not. I, I'm going to, I'm going to shift that question and say, why? Okay. Why would people do that? Because if you don't have a why, you don't have a reason to do this, you won't. You can know the technical reason of how, but okay. if you're unhappy and miserable, you have a why. Why do this? Why question your thoughts? Okay. Mm-hmm. The person who goes along and believes that they have all the right answers and knows everything and is doling out advice, they live in such a bubble world and they might feel great about themselves. Okay. And then, although they might be judgmental and critical of everybody else and what everybody else is doing because it's not what they would do, and of course, what they would do is the best thing. Mm-hmm. So they feel fine in their bubble world. But here's what happens when reality shows up. Say, say their wife says, you know, I don't like being around you anymore because all you are is critical and think you know everything. Or their husband says, you know, effectively, this is one. Or they get fired, they lose their job. Something doesn't go the way that matches their bubble world of beliefs. Mm-hmm. Now reality and their world disconnect. They're like, these things are not turning out the way I thought. You know, whether it's their health reasons, whether it's the financial investments didn't go the way they assumed. The relationship isn't working out the way they thought. Here I am successful in my life but I'm not feeling happy and satisfied the way I thought I would. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Now, at some point, people go, what's wrong with me? I should be happy here. I think that happens a lot. Very very common. A lot of my clients end up there. They're like, hey, I'm successful. I got everything I work for, but I'm miserable. Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling how I thought I'd feel. Well, their belief system said, if you get to this level of success, you'll be happy. And they got to that level, except, but emotionally, they don't feel any different. They're like, mm-hmm. but they, now here's the thing. The belief system says I should be happy, but I'm not. And therefore, the assumption is that that is one of the assumptions. This is if I'm not happy here where I should be, something's wrong with me. It's another assumption. Mm. And so one leads to another to the other. Why question that? Because maybe having that level of success you decided on when you graduated college or when you were 15 of what you wanted to do wasn't actually the stuff that makes you happy. Right. Maybe you had the wrong formula for I'll be happy when I have this, this, and this. 
Maybe that was all an assumption. And so why would you want to question it? Because it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. You have to question like these, what would, what does really make us happy? And the formula we often have is the wrong assumption. Well, we believe it absolutely. And when we achieve it and we're not happy, we don't question the formula of a certain level of title, success, money, and relationship. Mm-hmm. House, 2.2 kids, cat and dog, tricycles, and driveway. <laughs> we don't question that. We say, oh, something's wrong with me. The formula's fine. I know I should be happy. See, that kind of certainty is a problem. Say, maybe we shouldn't be happy with all that because... Emotions come from other things than this list right. of external accomplishments. And so that's why to go looking at belief systems, question these thoughts, questions these things that we quote unquote know to be true. I should be happy. Or I, if I accomplish all this, I will be happy. Those things that we know are actually just assumptions we put a lot of faith into. Mm-hmm. And so in our mental world, our imagination world, our belief system, world, they look like they would be true. Right. And things change as we as we get older and grow and learn and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, absolutely. The toy that made me happy when I was five does not work for me. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. So, so these are kind of what assumptions look like. Sometimes they look like things we know to be certain, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then how to go look at them is how to develop skepticism about these thoughts and these things that we assume to be certain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like, I assume this, like, no, some things we know, and then we find out that wasn't true at all. So how to do it is, I, I teach it in my book, MindWorks. I have it in my online course, A Pathway to Happiness and Self-Mastery. I teach a systematic process of shifting your point of view so you can step outside these thoughts and see them as an observer. Excellent. And so the fundamental to changing a belief is you have to change this point of view, among other things. Mm-hmm. And so you have to watch what the mind is doing from this separate self we'll call it, from a consciousness point of view, as opposed to the judge and victim or other other points of view that the mind has established. Mm -hmm. Where they they seem true. Inside the bubble, they seem true. Mm -hmm. You know, if you hear someone talk and they have a different belief system, you can, it's obvious to you not to believe them. It's like, well, they're in a bubble world. This is how they see it. Mm -hmm. But that's because you're looking at it from another person's point of view. Right. right. So the trick to seeing your false beliefs is to look at your beliefs as if you're another person. So I would call that taking an observer perspective. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. A neutral observer perspective. Mm -hmm. Or even one with a a bit of humor. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, (laughs) I do, I do this meditation where I have people like, okay, step outside yourself and kind of look back at that person. And then I ask them, like, how did you see yourself? It's like, well, it's kind of pathetic, and I didn't do my hair today, and <laughs> this is what's wrong with me. I'm like, okay, now we do go further. So you step outside of that and look back at those two people. And step outside of that and look at those three people. 
And what you find is that first person who's kind of critical is often the judge. We try to step back to a neutral observer point of view, but it's really kind of the judge voice talking about the victim, how pathetic you are sitting in that chair. Mm. And so you're not a neutral observer being outside. It's kind of the judge, how the judge looks at the victim side of the mind mm-hmm. persona. And so when you step out to like three or four, now you're being really neutral. And you're like, wow, they're all talking to each other. <laughs> I got different characters talking to each other. The victim's talking about how pathetic the, excuse me, the victim feels pathetic. The judge is saying how pathetic version one is. And version three is going, oh, that's really sad. That's terrible. I want to stop it and fix it. You know, they feel sad and want to heroically change version one and two. And the fourth version is like, well, that's not helping either. Now you just feel sad. Mm-hmm. It's generating a sad story about what one and two are doing. <laughs> You know, and version mm-hmm. so version four is out there going, that's really neutral observer. Mm-hmm. So stepping to that point of view, now you can do something different. Okay. Right. And you can see the belief systems, the stories, and the emotions that are generated, like from the judge and victim and the pleaser and the sad part and parts that got to rush in and fix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Version one and two. When version four or five goes, there's nothing wrong. They just believe stuff is wrong. Right. So just uh, is that one of the one of the processes I teach is that when you for people who journal, mm-hmm. I teach people write third person about yourself. Yes. Write right from this point of view where you're watching the mind and say Gary's thoughts were mm-hmm. uh, the voice in his head said this. And this trains your mind in a, in a rigorous way to be outside watching the thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's a very good suggestion. Yeah, that's one of the techniques I teach people to 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 rigorously develop a new part of their brain, build new neural pathways mm-hmm. to be an observer. That's excellent. I like that. Um, what I try to do when I'm putting myself in observer mode is go to as neutrally as I can. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. How interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It helps to take the judgment out. Exactly. That's where, that's where you have to move to. Uh, Because a really a neutral observer is going to have that kind of commentary. It's not looking at things that are right. It's not looking at things and label them as wrong. It's just looking at things and going, Oh, okay. Interesting show. Mm -hmm. So yes, that is the, the neutral observer kind of commentary. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have. Mm-hmm. The other thing I like along with that is, um, oh, what was the, it's one of my favorite books a long time ago, Games People Play and seeing everything as a game, uh, all interactions as a game and just kind of going, hmm, now that's an interesting game. <laughs> <laughs> that That's extremely useful and and I like it. I find that some of the people I start with, uh, they're too deep in anger or judgment, or self-criticism, self-loathing mm, mm-hmm. to be able to shift to that kind of narrative perspective mm-hmm. that easily. Mm-hmm. The the voices in their head are too strong to, to find things as funny or interesting. So it depends on a person, where the person's starting point is and how much emotional leverage and other deep beliefs, judge and victimization, whether they can accomplish that or not. Right. So 
not everybody starts in the same place, but they can get, but I, I firmly believe they can get there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it takes years of work uh, to unravel the, uh, the damage that our, our family and environment uh, have, have done when we're small and impressionable. But I do like the idea of seeing everything as a game because then I can look at it and go, hmm, you know, I don't like this game. So what do I need to do differently to change it? Yeah, I I, kind of I agree. I look at it as kind of the way people play video games and it's addictive. Mm, uh -huh. And they're like, they get knocked down and like, oh, darn it. Okay, you got knocked down, right? What do you do? You go respawn, you get up and you're like, let's go again. Mm -hmm. You, know? you want to immediately play. Mm-hmm. Now, in our personal journey, we can look at it the same way. It's, okay, I'm not going to believe these negative thoughts in my head. Well, you know, we're going to get hit. We're going to get knocked down. Mm -hmm. Okay, good one. You got me. All right, I'm going to get up and like go again. It's a real-life video game. You don't need a screen and a controller and a $500 box or whatever it is. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay, yeah. You don't need to pay a monthly fee for this game. You can see it going on in your imagination. Are there voices in your head shooting you down? Mm -hmm. Okay. Can you dodge the arrows and go, no, I don't believe that one. No, I don't believe that one. Oh, you're a screw up. And they're not going to, they're going to think you're failure and no, you better not do that. Don't go public speaking. They're going to think you're stupid. Like, no, I don't believe you and step past it. Mm -hmm. Can you dodge those bullets right. or those arrows? And when you get hit, you go, oh man, I felt that one emotionally. You get a real life emotional experience of what it is to believe a thought in that moment. It's not just a score on the screen. You're like, oh, man, you really got me. That was a good one. Nice shot. Mm -hmm. Can you respond that way? We do when your buddy hits you, you know, they're playing against each other and you take a hit from you. Oh, man, you got me. That was a good one. Can you do that when your mind gives you a shot of a negative judgment or criticism or victim story? Mm -hmm. you know, Excellent and play, metaphor. And, and, and immediately pop up and go, good one. Okay, let's, let's play again. Next mm -hmm. moment. Mm -hmm. Next moment. Next moment. Next moment. All right. Or do we get a hit and go, oh, OK, well, now now I'm not getting any better. Take another hit. Uh, I'm screwing this up. Take another hit. Do we need believe the next thought and the next thought of where this chain goes? Go, well, this isn't working. I might as well quit. I'm not even going to try. Shot, shot. And now we. After another, and we don't even get out and play and try anymore. I lost you for just a moment there. Um, it was after. And now, oh, let's see. Uh, you, you said, and now we, and then I. Can you hear me now okay? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you now okay. But okay. I just, I lost you for about 20 seconds. So I'll, I'll explain it again. So is it in a game, when we take a hit, do we then say, oh, you got me. I'm no good at this. I quit. Uh, I'm terrible. I'll never get it and put ourselves in a penalty box where we don't even try mm -hmm. to make ourselves better. We don't try not to believe the next thought. You know, if we believe one thought after another, we'll take ourselves that far and then we're hopeless. We're not actually working to change the belief system or grow out of it at that point. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering now, because I've, I've always been kind of feeling like video games are such a waste of time, but maybe if they build that kind of, uh, a different belief system of not giving up and, you know, keep moving forward. Maybe they are good. 
if you then take the video game <laughs> and apply it to you know this mindfulness practice and dismantling dissolving belief system practice yes i think it's the skills are incredibly valuable because you've got a real life holographic game going on in your imagination all the time mm -hmm. you know and are are you, is it beating you up or does it make you feel good mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. you know does it say things like oh you shouldn't try you don't want to fail that'll feel bad or what would people think fear of what would people think or does it say yeah let's try that that might be fun i mean which direction does your mind express in and do you go along with it or you have to be skeptical and say, no, I'm going to try it because it might be fun and not believe this fearful what other people think story. And if I do believe the fearful whatever what people might think of me story, let me go do an inventory and dismantle it so that I can be free of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes a lot of trust in yourself, too. Personally, I feel like I've had a very blessed life. I've had lots of adventures. I've took lots of risks. Um, and a lot of people were like, I can't believe you're doing that. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> um, I guess I have a lot of faith and trust in myself and in my intuition that, you know, whatever it is I'm going to choose to do is going to turn out okay or in some way. I there There is that, but what I find more of it is a lot of people are afraid to try because there is this voice in their head of the judge mm. that will criticize them harshly if it doesn't turn out the way it's planned. Mm. And if that voice criticizes, oh, you failed, you screwed up, what do people think of you now? They're going to see you as a loser. They're, they're inclined to believe that kind of guy as a guiding voice. And then that kicks them emotionally over to feel less than unworthy failure victim feeling belief system. Mm -hmm. And now they're adopting a victim point of view. I'm a failure. I'm no good. Everybody sees me as a failure. And so they trust and have faith in that story or that collection of stories as a pattern. And so they don't go try because they believe not in themselves, but in the voice of the judge and the victim story. Mm, mm -hmm. And so they believe in something, but they believe in versions that are not themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and for fear of feeling that pain of a victim failure or how the judge will treat them. So they then feel like victimized by the judge. They go, I'm not going to try. Mm. That's so sad. I like the idea of failure as falling forward. <laughs> yes. And and that's that's a theory and affirmation, but it's not enough as an intellectual idea to overcome this fear of the judge and victim mm -hmm. punishment that we'll experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is that a lot of what you're you're uh working with when with people? Yes. Mm -hmm. I get down into this belief system of how the judge and victim manipulate our emotions, create fears, uh, limiting beliefs, and how to separate yourself from it, dismantle it, and, and dissolve the belief. Mm -hmm. Beliefs that drive it. Cool. cool. And then you're free to say, yeah, I want to go try that. That looks like fun. Mm -hmm. I, I think so many people don't take, they don't take any risks or any, um, Staying with what is known mm -hmm. is safer 
even if it's not, even if you're not happy or you're, you know, in your life, it's, it's much safer than doing something that's not known. Um, for a lot of people, for, for a lot of people. But, uh, when, when I, what I find that's a surface level explanation, mm-hmm. it's doing safer than something that's, it's unknown. It's because the unknown might lead to self-judgment and, and a feeling of failure. And so because we don't have a mechanism to, we don't go past that wall. We don't have a mechanism to avoid Mm self-judgment. We avoid doing a thing that might lead to self-judgment. Got it. All right. So when we're really mindful and we don't believe what the judge has to say, and we don't believe what the victim has to say, we aren't going to fall into those emotions. And so then we're free. To try it. That's the liberation. And and Miguel's Four Agreements talks about what we're seeking as a what he calls a personal freedom. We're seeking a a freedom from this personal structure of beliefs to judge the victimization that we impose on ourselves. And to be free of that personal set of beliefs. That's personal freedom. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking, wouldn't it be lovely if we could just take an eraser and erase all our old beliefs? And then, and then replace them with with what we really want. <laughs> it's it is lovely, absolutely. It's lovely. It's uh, it's also a lot of well, that eraser is heavy and hard work, though. Is that's not it's in, in my experience. It's mm-hmm. it's a process. It can go kind of fast at times. It goes kind of a struggle at times. Sometimes there's a a, a complexity to what we're dissolving, but. Mm. Uh, what I, te- what I teach people is to take that complex, often complex set of beliefs, sometimes they're very simple, uh, and break them down into small parts. And in the small parts, they're manageable. You can change one at a time. Mm-hmm. How, could you give an example? I had a – this one's harder to explain. I was doing it recently at a talk because there's multiple layers to it. But a woman calls me up and she's got a jealousy issue. Mm. And she starts describing a relationship. We'll call it um, John and Jane Doe, right? So Jane is telling me that, you know, John, he's the best and we're together. It's perfect. It's wonderful. We're so happy. But then he has a job and he goes out and uh, he he works in the music business. So sometimes he's late night. He gets a lot of attention. She says, you know, she's thinking, well, he might be with somebody and, you know, then I get insecure and I think, well, he might be cheating. And, you know, then I think, well, I just imagine him cheating. I get so angry and I, I times I'll go check his phone and then I feel really guilty mm-hmm. that I checked his phone and, you know, I'm such a bad person. Mm-hmm. And so then I think, well, I'm a mess. You know, why would he want to be with me at all? Of course, I want to be with somebody else and I don't deserve him. And I don't think this is that uncommon, by the way. No, this is not uncommon. Right. So, so she kind of goes through this, telling me the story, and she said, "Well, I'll give you an example. The other day, Jane was saying she's going home after work. She's realized, well, he's got a gig tonight, and if I'm home alone by myself, I'll just drive myself crazy with these kinds of stories." So she says, I'll go to the gym. I'll feel better. She goes to the gym. She's working out. She has an awesome workout. She's got all her endorphins puffed up. She's thinking, but I feel great. You know, I'm awesome. I'm attractive. You know, I'm a 
partner in a law firm. This is not an insecure woman. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she handles court cases. Intelligent, articulate. Uh, should I make my own money? I'm a great catch. You know, any man would be happy to be with me. You know, I don't need this drama. I don't need him to heck with him. I should just dump him. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Mm-hmm. And be rid of this. And I'm like, oh, okay. So now she looks at this and go, wow. A moment later, she's like, well, but now I'm ready to throw this relationship away. You know, she's leaving the gym, ready to throw this relationship away. Mm-hmm. Okay. For the sake of the drama. And this looks absolutely certain to her that this is the thing to do from this point of view. Wow. But this is in a moment she's in the point of view of an empowered self. Mm-hmm. She's in this gym girl personality. I can do anything. <laughs> okay. Endorphins are full on. She's feeling strong. Well, the story started in this other romantic. Oh, we're great together and we're so happy and it's, he's perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, in the romantic point of view, she's just in love with him and he's in love with her. But Jim girl doesn't see him as his romantic partner. She sees herself not as a romantic sense of herself, but sees him as a drama maker. <laughs> well, there's another version of herself, the insecure part, the victim. This is another belief version of herself, a false identity that sees he might be cheating. Mm-hmm. And sees him with suspicions, suspicion. So she has three different versions of him. Then she's got the version of him that, oh, I imagine he did cheat. I'm so angry and he deserves to be punished. Now, this is a judgmental verse. She sees him from the point of view of the judge and that he is a cheater. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is very different than the point of view of, oh, he's so great. You know, I'm, I'm the one checking his phone. I'm ashamed. Right. Deserve him. So in one version, she sees him as a cheater. In another one, I don't deserve him. He's too great. So she's got multiple versions of him and multiple versions of herself mm-hmm. with different stories about multiple versions of him. <laughs> How confusing. Exactly. So this is what you have to break down in these multiple parts because she'll cycle through the emotion from one to the other. In one moment, she needs to dump the relationship. and the other moment, she needs to check his phone and make sure she feels safe. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other moment, oh, we're together and was totally happy. There's nothing to worry about. So she's moving between different belief systems of herself, different false identities, a judgment victim side of her personality, a fear side of her personality, a protector that's checking her phone. These are all different parts of her mind that become active in different moments. Mm-hmm. And they have different ways of seeing him entirely. Right. The way he looks, there's different versions of who he is. One of him is the cheater and one of him he's perfect for. We're perfect together. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other version, oh, he's so much better than me. I don't deserve it. So it's, she's got different belief system versions of him. So how do you solve this? You can't solve it very easily all at once. But if you break it down into these smaller parts, you can say, okay, I can see where my mind takes me for this ride in this moment and in this moment and in this moment, and you step back from each part of it, you can dismantle the system. Mm-hmm. It's like a big tree. You can't go push it over. But if you cut it up in small parts, yeah, now I can pick it up and get it out of the yard. Right. So is part of this in ascertaining what's actually 
what you actually know to be true, what is actually a fact. I mean, like she's she's going through this whole thing that he's seen other people and everything, but she she's just assuming, she's just making up stories. Here's the part. She's smart enough, and most people are smart enough to intellectually at moments go, it's just all in my head. Mm-hmm. And I'm making up a story, but when we believe it, it's really feels like it's true. And when I say feel, we generate the emotion mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that gives it a kind of gravitational pull <laughs> mm-hmm. that we're now sucked into it. Because when we feel emotion, everything from that point of view feels justified. And so the not only do you have to step back from the point of view, say, of the judge or the insecure part or the angry part, you have to step back and be the observer of the emotion as well. Because emotion is is that other part of the belief. So to say, okay, what do I do with this emotion? How do I release? How do I breathe? Because if we're angry, our mind will go look for a reason to be angry. Mm-hmm. If we're insecure, our mind will generate a story to reinforce that feeling of insecurity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we're afraid, our mind will generate ideas of things to be afraid of. Right, right. Okay. So, so you have to address and release the emotion without believing the story. I like to say that the mind can justify any belief. It it can and it will. Mm-hmm. It can. We go over. We've got, people have gone to war over false pretenses, false mm-hmm. beliefs. We've mm-hmm. p- the people who justify murder have mm-hmm. justified it. Okay. Somehow, so yes. When we go to an extreme, we see that example. That for that person, that was for them a fact, mm-hmm. as opposed to from the outside, you're like, no, that's an exaggeration. That's fanaticism. Mm-hmm. And so this is a this is a realm where we can create huge drama and, and destruction for ourselves and other people when we're not mindful of our beliefs. Mm-hmm. OK, it can have a smaller scale where we battle our ex, our ex. <laughs> Okay, or argue with our children, mm-hmm. but on a large scale, it creates drama in the world and and death when we aren't mindful and aware of how our beliefs can take us for a ride and suffer. Mm-hmm. Self awareness is the key. Absolutely, an awareness that your your thoughts aren't from you all the time thoughts can be from your mind and they aren't necessarily true it's a subtle shift but it leads to very big changes Mm -hmm. if someone is is getting an awareness and understanding Mm -hmm. that uh they need to become more self-aware they need to look at their beliefs and they want to Mm -hmm. where would they start i have uh on my website a self-mastery course okay and your website is First few sessions are free. The website is pathwaytohappiness.com. Okay. I'll also put all of this information on the webpage, but yeah. pathwaytohappiness.com? Yes. Okay. Uh, plus uh, a large quantity of podcasts, free audio to listen to is going to help fill in the gaps of what goes on with our mind, emotions, relationships, various topics. Great. Uh, but the course is really the systematic, the self-mastery course is really the systematic step-by-step. Here's how you... Become the observer of the mind. Here's how you release the emotions. Here's how you uh, learn to be skeptical of the thoughts in your head and the stories. 
and step out of these various viewpoints and chop it up into small pieces. Mm -hmm. I also explain that process in my book, MindWorks. MindWorks, okay. Is that as an ebook or a hardcover? It's an ebook and uh, print. Okay, great. You can get it at uh, online retailers. Great. Or an ebook format anywhere. And the self mastery course is that um, is that online and and self paced so that someone can just do it at their leisure. It's it's got a programmed pace. It's time gated. There's a session you start with, and a week later you get another one, and Mm -hmm. two weeks later you get another one. Two weeks later you get another one. So you do these little exercises uh, for you know week ten days. Take a break. Get the next one and do it. And they're each going to build. Okay. And you're going to learn all these different practices, going to build new neural pathways in your mind so that when when a drama comes up, like writing third person, Mm -hmm. when you write about something, say in this case, the woman's example of jealousy, when you write about it third person for a while, number of times it shows up, the next time it happens and she goes to feeling insecure, she goes to feeling suspicious. Her mind has now been patterned to look at it as the observer because she's written about it that way multiple times instead of to look at it from the insecure character's point of view. Mm-hmm. Instead of from a victim or a judge or an anger point of view, because she's written about it, her mind is automatically geared to create this observer perspective and see it that way while it's happening in real time. And from that perspective, she can go, do I want to believe this? Or not. I know where this pattern is going to go. Do I want to go there? No. She gets a choice. Mm-hmm. Instead of this unconscious system taking her for a ride, we now have a choice. Very important. But it but it requires that we build these new neural pathways. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So for someone who I'm trying to think of what objections people might have to you know moving forward uh how much time like if someone's has a very busy life and they're thinking oh i don't have time to do this what would you say to that i don't have time <laughs> you know i would do an inventory on that statement mm-hmm. so why why don't i okay and they would have a reason and i don't have time is that true or is that a belief true or an opinion mm-hmm. okay that's if it's a client mm mm-hmm. But it's very interesting that someone would say, I don't have time, but they haven't looked at the course yet. They haven't listened to an audio. They don't know the length of the audio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, there's exercises you can in my course that you can do in conversation with people. Cool. Okay. There's exercise in my course. Some are writing exercises. Mm-hmm. Some you're going to do by yourself while you're commuting. Mm-hmm. If you're going to the gym and you're working out, because that's important, you see your time, that's good. You can listen to an audio while you're working out or running on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. You can get the information while you're doing something else. There's exercises in my program you can do while you're in a meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay? Cool. Mm-hmm. So, A, I don't have time is an assumption. And it's a limiting belief because they're assuming what this whole program looks like or how they might change it and adapt it to incorporate it in their life without actually having tried. Mm-hmm. So that's why uh, I believe you said you have uh, some lessons that are, are free to give people an idea. Yeah. The first, first four sessions are free. First four. You know, this okay. course came out of what I would teach my coaching clients mm-hmm. on the phone. 
Okay. And I was thinking, well, I got an hour with this client on the phone. What am I going to get through with an hour? I said, well, the real result's going to be what they go practice in between now and when I talk to them again. Right. And so this is what they can go practice in their life. And they come back and they get a shift. They're like, hey, I see this differently now. I noticed this. Mm-hmm. But I didn't notice I was doing before. Good. This is what we're going to do about it now. Here's the second exercise. Now that you notice this, I want you to do this. And they'd go do that. And so this is what I'd give my clients. So the first four sessions are free. Try it out. If it works for somebody, it fits the way you want to go about it. Great. And if it doesn't, go find something else. Sure. Yeah. It's like get test drive a car. Mm-hmm. So, test drive a product. Yeah, I I think that's a great idea because, you know, we're all wired differently and that's why there are so many different ways to work on on things. It's not a one size fits all. Correct. Correct. Great. Well, this is awesome, Gary. Is there anything that you haven't said that you need to say before we finish? I think this has been great. I've really enjoyed this conversation. The other stuff is in hours of YouTube videos and free podcasts that I've wanted to say. And the other stuff that I want to say, I'll make more material and put it out there. So um, I would say that happiness is an inside job. Mm-hmm. Happiness is an inside job. And there's kind of happiness that we've been taught to pursue that is an external reward. Mm. When we were little, we drew pictures for mom or dad, or we got a hit at a baseball game and we got praise and attention. And we, we said, that's love. We got an emotional response by taking an action. We got a good grade. We got love and attention. We got rewarded. We got a bad grade. We got scolded or did something. We got scolded. We've looked for other people's response to us, treatment of us Mm -hmm. or our performance that would then dictate how people treat us. Mm -hmm that then generates an emotion. And this kind of experience, having our emotions based on our performance and how people respond to our performance is a habit worth breaking. Mm -hmm. This is how we come to seek happiness, looking for some external response, external opinion even. Do they love us? Do they not love us? Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And so creating an experience where you can generate your own emotions. I have love for my garden. I have love for myself. I have love for, you know, how it feels to work out in a gym, just just eating healthy food. You can have love coming out of you because you're breathing (laughs) for no reason at all, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. And when you feel that emotion comes out of you, you're like, okay, I don't need somebody else's opinion. I don't need some accomplishment and I don't need to go make someone else happy or accomplish certain title or money. I feel this emotion just coming out of me naturally because this is how we were as children. Children had this joy coming out of them naturally. Mm-hmm. And when we get back to that, now we have incredible opportunities in, in just being happy with so much in life or so little with successes and failures Mm -hmm. because we don't do anything to interrupt this flow of joy and love. Excellent. What an awesome way to end. 
Thank you so much, Gary. I really appreciate your being on the podcast and sharing your expertise and wisdom and knowledge with our listeners. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to share. And thank you for letting me share my point of view and experience. Thank you. You take care. Thank you. end of our show. Thanks for listening. There were a lot of good ideas that you can apply to your life right now. Hope you took some notes and will take action. Keeping It Real comes out every two weeks, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher so you don't miss a beat. You can listen or download episodes from our website, realjanine.com. Email at realjanine at gmail.com or tweet at realjanine. If you use Facebook, go to Real Janine and leave comments there, and you will get notices of new episodes if you follow. And remember, Janine is spelled J-A-N-E-A-N.